You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ball Gibbs with the thrust. Robert Jones nicely out to Emir Lewis. Emir Lewis is shifted up goes Yayan Evans. Yayan Evans is away. Can the cap Welsh captain make it? He's going to do it. And it's a try for Wales. And the Welsh captain has scored his eighth and his 33rd Welcome to a brand new year on the Attacking Scrum podcast. We have got absolutely tons to cover in this episode. Since we've last been on air, we have a brand new tournament lined up in the form of the Rainbow Cup. We've also got a, a bit of mulling over about the Lions Tour. You know, who, Rather than it being who should be going, it might be a question of is it actually going to go ahead? So we're going to be getting our teeth into that as well. We've also got some Welsh regional rugby to look back on. Some of the, well, the probably the most forgettable Welsh derbies in recent history. But don't worry, it's not going to be too depressing. We're going to try and get to the bottom of it, figure out why that is the case. And uh, so yeah, see if we've got any answers. And if we haven't got any answers, then who knows, maybe we've got a few more questions that we can throw on top of it. We've had stacks of questions coming from listeners. So thank you to everyone who did that. We're going to do our best to get stuck into those as well. And I'm delighted to say that joining me to do that is good friend of the show, Yestin George. How are you, Yestin? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Blue the Nevisar and all that caper. Yeah, here we go. 2021. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it was a little bit, uh, it would have been a bit optimistic to think that just because uh, we've entered into a new year that things are all going to be sunshine and roses. But uh, let's, yeah, we'll stick to the rugby rather than the, uh, the, the mad world that we live in right now. Although, of course, one does bleed into the other at certain points. But let's let's get uh, let's get stuck into some of these listeners' questions because we've had some fantastic ones come in. Uh, now, this first one is from Dan Ashcroft. He says, "Given the lack of tries over the festive period, is there a quality issue right now, or is it more reflective of other factors, i.e., poor playing conditions or bad coaching?" What do you? Uh, what's your take on that one? I, I presume you uh, you laboured your way through all the games over Christmas. Yeah, I um, I think I missed the one that uh, I think you mentioned being tempted to go and do your ironing um, uh, uh, in the second half was just the Dragons Cardiff game, wasn't it? The Blues yeah. game. Yeah, There's, there was some, I believe there was a bit of a glitch with Premier Sports as well. And they were, uh, the, the game wasn't available online for the first half an hour. <sighs> I think a few people have been asking for refunds. I'm thinking of asking for a refund myself because I did watch that first half an hour. But it was, uh, yeah, I mean, that was... I've I've watched some grim, some grim Boxing Day derbies between those two sides. That mu- that must have been the worst, I think. I th- yeah, it's it's. I think one thing we have to realise is that in past, um, in the past, these these kind of games have always been billed very highly, haven't they? They've it's always been uh, considered the highlight of the whole season, and they, they they have they have weighed rather heavily on. I think the responsibility to turn up and deliver like the the you know the great show of the year 
um, you know, just after the Christmas break seems quite a quite a big ask. So I, I I have to say it's not been it's not as if the last few years have been so memorable and suddenly we're we're dragged down to what was um, yeah uh, quite 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 uh, generously described as a sort of dire set of games. Um, it feels like they've they've been you know the I think there's a lot there's a lot about just players um, that kind of local enmity which sometimes sparks um, sparks an excitement but but in an empty stadium it's mm. not it's not going to I think that's uh, a massive factor as well actually like I say you know there it was a really awful set of games on the whole but normally you know you take that Dragons Cardiff game for example at least the crowd will be getting on some of the Cardiff players' backs and you can enjoy that. Or when there's a bit of niggle, you know, I know everyone says, oh, it's handbags and whatever. And it is, it is nothing these days, but just hear, just hearing the noise come out of the stadium from a set of fans, you know, any, anyone who suggests that the, the future of sport is without fans has, you know, has, has been shown the, the error of that judgment and, um, this year, you know, you're never going to have virtual reality replacing fans. We've seen that in the last 12 years. It's so important to any sport that that's the bit that gives, you know, that really does make a, a huge difference. And, you know, we've seen that, I think, in, you know, in football with some of the statistics around home advantage being, you know, somewhat eroded. But in a more romantic way, as you and I tend to tend to lean on these occasions, it is it is what makes those occasions special. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was um, there was very little fire, really. I suppose um, ultimately, and nothing. There were there was never a, a passage of play that you could turn around and say, "Well, this is one for the ages" uh, mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Clearly, the the tactics, you know, made the autumn made the uh, the autumn cup look like the Hong Kong sevens, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a pretty damning indictment. Uh, the kicking was just atrocious, relentless, and predictable throughout all of the games. So everybody just screwed their tin hat on and just said, "Okay, let, what we have, we hold." And who makes a mistake uh, first? You know, who who's gonna? So it was just, yeah, it was. It, you can't really turn around and say, "Oh well, one coach, one coach, uh, you know, was responsible for for killing the game." or even a set of players. It was all a bit um, predictable right across the piece, wasn't it? I think it's just been it's been the case pretty much since rugby came back from the restart that this is the the dominant way of playing. Now, it's been creeping into the game for a while. You know, box kicks have become more and more important, and I've moaned about them, you know, at great length. Listen to it, pick any show from the last three years, and I will moan about a box kick at some point. But it is just the fact that teams are so heavily incentivized to kick possession away that it is much more of a risk to have the ball than to not have it that I think is at complete odds with the kind of rugby that I, and again, this is a generalization, but surely most people, if not all people who watch rugby want to see running rugby above, above this kind of kicking battle. Now, I think again, there is a degree, you know, and I've, I've watched a lot of rugby over the years and I've generally been able to take some kind of enjoyment out of most, most trends that come into the game. But this one, it just is. And, I, and it's not a question of it being nostalgia, as I see has been, you know, has been raised a lot on social media. It's, it's not a question of that. It's just a question of the fact that it's really not very attractive to watch. And it's bad enough when it's been done at international level by the best players. When you take it to Pro 14 and regional level, it's just... It's, it's you know it is no spectacle whatsoever. There was it's interesting watching, um, for instance, the a, a random game like Leicester versus Bath, um, and comparing the, the the nature of the game. Obviously, there are still box kicks. Obviously, there's some there's some ten you know kick tennis being played, but it's nothing nothing like the that what we experienced and so you do have to you, you you can't it would be remiss of us to sort of say well that's the way the game is going because it's not you know 150 miles away they're playing fairly entertaining rugby in difficult circumstances mm-hmm. and difficult difficult weather conditions with 
uh, with squads that may be depleted due to injury, etc. So there is something to be said for the standard is just is 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 below what we would hope it to be full stop i think and and that's got a lot to do with it's got a lot to do with the absence of players it, it, it seems that every squad has got at least eight players missing due to injury non availability um and you know to see it was it's, it's terrible isn't it when you watch uh, you know, you're you're watching Tyler Morgan go off. You're watching Jake Ball go off again. Tain, yeah, Tane Basham again. Tane Basham yeah. again, and you just go, oh my god! You know what is it? And you know, without even having, you know, without even seeing Ellis Jenkins or you know Josh Navidi or uh, you know, forgetting that James King ever existed, uh, let alone Gareth Anscombe or you know, that it's just, you know, and Ross Moriarty is almost like a kind of distant memory. Mm. So there's, there's loads and loads of um, players who, who are, you know, what's, you know, that, and Johnny McNichol seems to, you know, be, be you know, is injured more than he's fit at the moment. And so I don't know. It, 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 clearly the best sides are not on the pitch, right? Mm. No, so, clearly. Clearly. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the rugby should be subpar, because as we can see, you know, here we go. My, I've been waiting for this one. You know, Sam Costello comes on, scores a scores a stormer, looks like really dynamic, and often you do see young players come out come out the, you know, hit their straps really quickly, and then kind of almost retreat into a more safety first approach after that and so you would suggest that the stakes are really high the professional players playing in a professional league and it's governed possibly by fear rather than by adventure and um, that might be something that's at the root of a, a league that isn't working that everybody realizes isn't good enough that the that the also to do with just people wanting to retain their players wanting to retain their contracts and coaches wanting to to do the same it seems like it's a small c conservatism that that is it, it'd be stupid to say that that it's it's you know it's it's three or four years in the making this latest set of mm. fixtures and if Connaught can go off and beat Leinster um, in the Pro 14 and Leinster's first defeat for like eight and a half years or whatever, it's like, uh, you know, we're, it, we're, we're, you know, from your marketing point of view, it'd be interesting to find out what you think, Jed, but it feels like, mm. you know, this is something that's predictable, that's unexciting, that doesn't produce anything other than a contractual obligation to to play eighty minutes with lots of players getting hurt quite a lot. <laughs> well, we're definitely we're definitely going to revisit some of these themes, uh, and I'm going to do that by tackling Michael Rowland's question, which was when was the last time you enjoyed watching a Pro 14 game? And obviously, it's a slightly flippant one, but I do think with the yeah again putting the marketing hat on for a minute, this is fundamentally the problem that we've got is it's such a di- it's such a disparate league that. This, as you said there, the derby time is the one bit where interest gets ramped up a bit. We've said before, you know, I've got no interest in watching Leinster steamroll, well, any anyone really, you know, because more often than not, you see the fixture list, Leinster at home to Glasgow, who, you know, who themselves have, have had some success in this tournament, but you generally know the result. And that creates a degree of apathy. And we've said before, there's not really a, an historic rivalry between those two sides massively. And... So it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not even like, you know, Leinster or Munster taking on, taking on Connacht because at least there is a, you know, there is a, a locality to it. And that's the, that's the fundamental problem that the league has. It's so disparate and it is, it, it, it looks like what it is. It's a mishmash of teams who aren't 
playing in in Super Rugby. I know the South Africans are missing, and we're going to revisit this in a minute. But it's a mishmash of teams who aren't playing in Super Rugby. Uh, the Celtic League at least made sense initially, right? It, it, it made kind of sense because Celtic Nations is a thing, and from a rugby point of view, they are a thing. And at least that that kind of made sense in the early days. The more they tried to grow it, and and I, I think that the downfall started with the Italian teams because they didn't really add a lot in terms of quality. They had nothing in terms of, uh, and I'm not I'm not blaming them, but they had nothing in terms of uh, away fans because they're not going to, and and likewise, other than you know maybe a small party of forty or fifty people who fancy getting the uh, fancy getting a plane over to an away game. That's not that's that's never likely to be a, a a thing against any of it. So all of these things really dilute the product. And then when you add into the fact that the league itself has just been so there's been such a lack of competition in it for so long. For years you had you know you had internationals away for huge chunks of the season, and it's only in the last ten years that it's been a playoff. You know, before that you had internationals missing for huge chunks of the season, and it was a league table, which made no sense whatsoever. Then you've got the, the playoff thing. Then it's split into two conferences. Uh, I think the first season it was split into conferences. You had like the top two in each went through to a semi-final. And I, I, honestly, I, I can still can't quite get my head around the way it works. It's confusing and it's hard. And I'm someone who supposedly should know about these things from a, a business perspective and from a and as a punter. So what does that tell you about the, the casual fan? You know, and we're not talking about a brand new convert to rugby here. We're talking about people who might have watched, uh, you know, who probably would have watched um, top flight Welsh rugby in the club era. How do you convert them by saying, actually, it's going to be something good here? Or even just an 18-year-old kid who plays rugby at school. And how do you tell them that this is what you should be watching? And then the product is just is just so, so poor. It's uh, yeah, it, it's dross, and that's you know that yes, the Welsh regions have a part to to blame in that. Yes, the unions have a part to blame in that. But ultimately, if you've got a really poor product, you know you can you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. That's about as much as as much as you can do. And just every every time they've they've tinkered with the league, I don't think really it's, it's done much for the long term health of it. It's just you know. When they introduced the South African sides, yeah, it brought a it brought a few it brought a few bob, which will have been eroded by coronavirus now. Um, and look, we're going to come on and talk about the the Rainbow Cup. Um, Can I just um, yeah, use an, a WWE analogy, which is, seems a bit left field? It will be lost on me, but please do. Um, it's just that my son was always um, quite into all that, and um, so we went to see them at the O2. Uh, and you know all the big names in from America were flown in, and they they drove a London bus with the open top London bus into into the stadium with all the wrestlers in it and all that, and the fireworks went off and yada yada yada. And then uh, in the same later in the same tour, we went to see the CIA Cardiff version, mm. and uh, they didn't have a. You know, they didn't drive a bus in. There were no fireworks. But I tell you what, The Undertaker was there and all the big names were all there. And they didn't, the one thing they didn't scrimp on was the stars. The talent, yeah. The talent. Now, if you are missing that much talent, you know, the, the obviously the WIU have worked really, really hard to bring a lot of that talent back. Um but when you don't see Josh Adams running with the ball, uh, when you don't see a lot of the kind of, you know, you see Nick Tompkins appear to be kind of, I don't know, getting a bit lost, perhaps. Not really looking like the player he was six months ago for one reason or another. You just have to think that it's a combination of coaching, but it's also, you write about the product and that's your area of expertise. But I also think that if you can't get the talent on the pitch, mm. then, you know, what would Keelan Giles do to, to at least to electrify a game if you're given a bit of space and fitness? And I know that this is a physical game, but it just feels to me like we're counting, you know, we're, we're count, the body count is too big. Mm. And I think there's something really fundamental about that. And it is, I, I, again, we're looking at people 
I, the breakdown is just crazy, I think. And the rolling malls are crazy. People are getting hurt all the time. And much as we are now, you know, uh, kind of obsessed with head injuries, it's not stopping them happening, is it? Mm. And so I think I just no. think really fundamental things need to happen. And I'm not a massive fan of let's just change all the rules. But something needs to happen. You've got you've got to get you've got to get these players, these players have, have got to be on the pitch for more time. And I, like you said about international international call-ups and stuff, that what that is is frustrating for for team for clubs, without a doubt. But there's more to it than that, I think. But yeah, look, I mean, I think we need a separate podcast on the heart of the entire state of rugby because you've you've hit a lot of the points there. The physicality has begot has gone, you know, beyond recognize you even watch a game from 10 years ago and it's it is so much more physical now that it, it is, you know, we know it's dangerous. And that's not just head injuries, it's everything. It's dangerous for the players. Like you say, for the fans, they're Favourite players are spending more time on the treatment table than they are on the pitch. Careers are getting cut short, and and ultimately the you know the the game itself has has not has not benefited. And I don't think it's being over dramatic to say that. You know, honestly, I'm not one of these. Our oh, rugby's not what it used to be. You know, I've genuinely been able to take joy from rugby in in some form or another. But right now, it is it is the pits and and. It doesn't help that Wales are playing badly. It doesn't help that the regions are playing badly. But I think there is a lot, there is a lot, lot more to it than that. And um, yeah, there there are some fundamental things to be to be addressed. There's safety and there's entertainment. And there there are two things. And I know the entertainment one sounds a bit flippant flippant compared to to player safety. But at the same time, you know, the health of the sport is in need of of keeping keeping fans in the game. But but I know we're obsessed with this, but growing the game, you need to keep bringing people in who you can't just rely on the same people to pay 80 quid to go to Cardiff or 110 quid to go to Twickenham or whatever it is and, and hope and hope for the best. How do you get people through the doors at clubs? How do you get them to, to go from watching three games a year to watching five, six, seven, any, any simple marketing thing, right? will tell you your loyal audience. They're there, right? They, they know about it. If you're marketing a new computer game, new video game, right? There are certain people who will know about it. They'll know it's going to happen. It's there. Your job as a as someone who works in marketing is to drum up interest amongst the, the people who might buy two or three video games a year. Well, rugby's got that same thing. How do you do it? How do you get those casual fans through the door more often? You know, it's, it's, just, it's the same as anything. That's how you make things bigger. And without that money that comes into the sport, you can't pay the players. You can't improve the ground. You can't. Do, you know you can't improve the level of coaching you can't keep the grass roots game alive you know th- so that's why it's important it's not just you know it's not just uh chasing money for the sake of chasing money it's money because it is an essential part of the sport of, of any sport and and they're some of the the big things that uh, that we've uh, we've got to get to grips with but we have got a lot more questions to get through and we're going to do that very very shortly but right now we're going to take a very very quick break I feel like we've started the year how uh, how we want to go on in kind of hopefully not ranty mood yesterday, but certainly uh, certainly I think there's um, I don't know a few things a few things you probably want to get uh, get across uh, this week and certainly get a few things I want to get off my chest. Um, let's move tact slightly and it, I, I think build on something you were saying in the first half there. This one's from Gareth Davis. How much blame for the poor standard of the regions can be attributed uh, to all regions being without their starting tens? And how will this affect Wales uh, when Bigger gets injured trying to turn around Saints season? It's a good point, actually, because like you said, there's a lot of players missing, but particularly with, uh, you know, with 10s, a vital position always, but particularly when there's such a kicking game going on. Yeah, there's no sign of... Um, there's no sign, really, of of any sort of dominant 10s in... in uh, in the in Wales anyway, mm. there are Welsh qualified tens who are playing okay, <laughs> you know, in England. But um, yeah, it's a it's it's a definite problem. And you know, I have 
I've already banged on about the fact that certain, you know, the scarlets have a surfeit of tens and Mm. other regions don't have enough to go, you know, to really, you know, they they don't have the strength and depth. So it is a problem. It's a massive problem, but uh, it's indicative of the fact that, you know, that a lot of the players, you know, they, they, it, it does worry me that those players are not playing in Wales. But um, it, it seems a little bit like they they seem to be able to, even though the fixture congestion is just the same in England, that they've been fortunate that they haven't they haven't got injured or they haven't really. I think that's coincidental, actually. I yeah. do because I think you could take an example of someone like Toby Falatau and say that he barely played when he was uh, sorry, he's barely injured when he was playing in Wales, and then has yeah. really struggled since going to Bath. And I think that generally the English clubs want their pound of flesh. From yeah. Uh, yeah, from the the players who are Welsh qualified because you know they, they let's be honest if you if you coach Northampton and you're paying Dan you know or, yeah you're paying Dan bigger salary you want him wearing the number ten shirt as often as you can whether it's a rest weekend in the Six Nations or not and so I can't you know I I, I do think it's probably coincidental I think the number ten thing is an interesting thing because again to go back to that entertainment point Jared Evans is a ten who likes to play and. I'm not saying he's some Mark Ring style maverick, you know, like the game was played in the 80s, but he's he's generally an attacking 10 that might bring a little bit more flair and excitement to a game. Probably not the Dragons game because the weather was so awful, but that Ospreys game, at least he's an option who can give you something a bit more uh, attacking. Again, likewise, Reese Patchell, and I know he's got a, a huge boot on him, but at the same time, we know what he's capable of doing from a from a running point of view. With that one, I think Scarlets are, are playing a much more conservative brand of rugby and a much more forward or a forward orientated brand of rugby anyway. But I do think the fact that those players are capable of doing those things definitely made a difference. Sam Davis less so, I think, because he's very, you know, very kicking ten, particularly with the way it's the way the game's played at the moment. And I mean, Gareth Anscombe, we don't we don't really know because it's been so long since we've we've seen him. But again, he's generally he's more of a running ten than he is a kicking one. But I, I do think that's had a, a knock on. A knock-on effect, but I think you hit the nail on the head in the first half that it's really about the fact that there's just so many players missing and the overall quality is diluted that much. Yeah, and I mean, there are there are the you know there are minor um, minor things to be optimistic about. Is that you know Reese Carey threw himself about a bit more in mm. it seemed to be certainly in the loose, which is kind of his job, really. I've got um, to, I've got to bring this up. Why does Reese Carey start more for Wales than he does for Cardiff? I know. Like it's not like he left Cardiff because he wanted first team rugby, but well, he was frustrated at the lack of it at Cardiff. And you know, sitting on the bench for Saracens is very different to sitting on the bench in the Pro 14. Has come back, and to my knowledge, just thinking off the top of my head, has not really started that many that many games. It was away the autumn, and Pivak has seen him as his first choice initially, and then kind of coming back from that. Again, he's, he's not really... I don't know whether Mulvihill just doesn't fancy him particularly, but he always seems keen to explore other options and use Carrier as an impact sub. So I was actually just pleased to see him with a one on his back. Yeah, no, definitely. And he played quite well. And there's quite a few, obviously. The um, the Ivan Phillips, you know, Ivan Phillips was a, mm. um, played really well. And as I've already mentioned, Costello looked, obviously looked great when he came on for the Scarlets. Um, there have been a few kind of um, few notable uh, kind of lower, you know, lower profile players who've. who've, who've it's individual performances, really well. though, isn't it? It's, they are very much, yeah. I mean, I mean obviously, um, you know, you, yeah, yeah, without a doubt, yeah, absolutely, you're right, yeah. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, it really is a tricky one, but I do think, yeah. You're right there. That 10, 10 definitely has something to do with it. Let's stick with the backs and take this one uh, from Craig Muncie, another good pal of the show. The Dwayne Peel appointment as senior assistant coach uh, at Cardiff Blues. Is this uh, the position as tagged or is he set to be head coach next season with Mulverhill moving on or moving to a different role? That's a very interesting one. I've got absolutely zero insider information on this, so it's all, it's all speculation, but... Bouncing, bouncing ball over to you yesterday. Do you see that as being a 
a potential end outcome with with Peel taking on a you know more significant role than the one he's been billed? I've got even less inside <laughs> track than you have, so you know, don't ask me. But um, he's obviously highly regarded in the way that Stephen Jones has you know has been highly regarded, and they they both they both um, you know they've definitely. Uh, shone in assistant roles mm. so I guess at some point that you would think that they would have to take the the, the main role at some point and I guess I, I'm not aware uh, it, it feels like the the general mood music is that Mulverhill is under scrutiny mm. I don't know whether that's it that's uh accurate in any way shape or form but um... yeah I mean I've heard I've heard rumblings at, at one point or another and the you know the the point where those rumblings were most sinister they came out and won the next two games and played really well so it's you know I'm definitely dealing only with speculation here but lots of talk I think in the media in particular at the start of this season uh, was that third season is the time where you you need to be doing things and you know it's the it's the final year of his of his contract I don't think he's done a bad job during that time but they've not had a huge amount to show for it but then have any of the you know have any of the the regions during that time really you know I think we obviously we've, we've covered you know what the Scarlets did under Pivac for a couple of seasons but it's been very disappointing for all the regions the question I you know I think is are they moving forward under him or would they look to another option? I think if they did look to another option, then Peel would be front runner because he's he is held in such high esteem. I think that would have done him the world of good going to Ulster and being part of a functional, uh, mm. you know, a more functional team. You know, one that's better funded, got a great set of players and a good, you know, and a, a, a good solid coaching setup. So I think that would have done him really uh, the world of good. But then it's yeah, the question is. You know, will he take on that um, that head coach role? And yeah, and and would he be would he be keen to step up to it? I think at some point he certainly would. But his stock is his stock is pretty high at the moment, and and I'm sure he has uh, has a fair amount of ambition. But yeah, I you know I think ultimately it's going to come down to the Cardiff directors, isn't it, and see what they what they think. I mean, let's be honest, Mulvey Hill was a was a late appointment when he did get when he did get the job. It was one that. You know, I don't think too many of us knew a great deal about him and it was late in the day. So you can't imagine they had their eye on him all, you know, from a from a huge way out. Do but, you think, yeah. yeah, I mean, do you think that it's just all about Europe? If they if they make a fist of it, I know that we've we've both talked about, the, you know, let's not be over ambitious here. Mm. But if they do make a good, decent showing in Europe, then... then well... Yeah, so this season it's all about Europe. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. So it's all about them getting something out of the yeah. European Challenge Cup this year. Um, I think it kind of is because the, I mean, let's be honest, the Pro 14 season, however many weeks we are into it, is virtually a dead rubber. So it's, it probably is all about Europe. But would a semi final in, in the second tier of Europe? Be enough to guarantee your job. I think winning it might, but anything less than that, maybe a final might. Semi-final, you know, if you if you reach the semi, if you play well in the groups and you do get to a semi-final, and then you get hammered by someone, it's it's all forgotten. You know, it, even when the Dragons are at pretty low ebbs, they made a couple of European Challenge Cup semi-finals. I think, yeah, yeah, we did, um, and got yeah, and, and you know, kind of lost them fairly convincingly, but. It's uh, yeah, I, I don't think that's enough, really, to be honest. And uh, unless you know, there is still an element that expectations are higher within the within the capital city. I think, you know, it's uh, whether that's right or wrong or realistic or not. It is. It's a, a club or a region. Kind of call it what you want. That I think that still there is still a higher degree of expectation there certainly than there is at the Dragons and, and potentially maybe the, than there is at the Ospreys at the moment. So, you, yeah. you know, but if you look at, say, uh, okay, there's a back row of where, say, Will Boyd's on the bench and mm. Josh Navidi's on there and Ollie Robinson's on there and then Corey Hill and Seb Davis are playing second row and you've got, 
you know you've got decent younger players on the bench and then mm. you've got Halaholo and Lilo actually playing well together and then you've got you know you, you might have um you know you you've got Ellis Jenkins forgot about Ellis Jenkins even being you know in the back row and you suddenly go oh Owen Lane's on fire and etc 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 if you've got all those players playing then you then you can evaluate surely it's so hard the only seemingly although Thomas Williams has only just come back from injury you know one of the things that you could rely on okay there's Lloyd and there's Thomas and then you've got you know you've got um you've got one decent 10 you know um and and but you they haven't even they haven't put their best team up anywhere near Mm. their best team up all season but like but like you say when, when do you ever really get afforded that luxury there's there's more international rugby than there is, and again, I'm not making excuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For that, but that's that's the case. Is actually you need you need a squad with Will Boyd's in it and with Josh Turnbull's in it because they offer you versatility and a proven battle hardened, really really good uh, club rugby players. And you need those kind of players. You need our hips in there. They're all the kind of players that you that you're going to need throughout the course of any season. Yet alone this kind of bonkers one that we've got in front of us I think the question is always is has that head coach got enough out of the players at his disposal to warrant a new contract is can you see Cardiff Blues going on and challenging for for silver or whatever the ambitions are challenging for silverware getting into playoffs in getting back into the top tier of Europe can you see that happening within with with Mulvey Hill getting a, a new contract it's been fits and starts, really, for, for three years. They've played some nice stuff, but there's been other times where it hasn't been good enough. So I, I, I think it would take winning Europe in order for him to, to be guaranteed that if they were to get to a semi-final, be very unlucky, and they go on a blinding run in the Rainbow Cup or whatever, then maybe then maybe that would be enough. But I don't know. I, I, I think it's... Uh, I, th- I, think, I think they need to really start pulling together some back-to-back performances and then you're going to have the Six Nations at some point or other in the next year uh, to to interrupt that. Mm. Right, let us have a look. God, we've got so many, we're not going to get through all of these tonight, but let us have a look at something completely different. This one is from Kai Griffiths, former uh, former Ospreys prop, of course, uh, now at, at London Welsh, a good, good pal of the show. And it simply says, the Lions, will it go ahead? Crystal ball time, yes, Tim. No. Mm. Feels that way, doesn't it? Because they're already talking about, you know, we're thinking about making an an announcement. (laughs) That's like, they're making an announcement about maybe making an announcement. Well, yeah, if I put my my professional marketing hat on every now and again, we can rely on you to put on your your PR journalism hat and... Like you say, they're um, they're being fed. They're being fed basically. Watch this space. That's um, like the, that's like the trigger movement of a nine, isn't it? Yeah, it's like doing that little shimmy as they before putting in a box kick. It's uh, you know it's coming. Yeah. No, it seems it seems um, unlikely, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I mean, there was a, an interesting thing that uh, that was tagged in earlier. That's come from from uh, Alex Payne, the the TV and. and podcast presenter who's kind of put up a a nice looking um blue sky scenario of saying instead of moving the lion's dates why not move the geography and has put this uh has put this itinerary together so uh, 19th of june the lions uh, the available lion squad join up week later premiership rugby final at twickenham following uh, following week you have a lion's probables versus a lion's possibles you have uh, South Africa versus Japan in Brighton. The following week, you have the Lions versus Japan in uh, in Murrayfield. South Africa versus Leinster. Then you go into Lions uh, versus South Africa first test, uh, and and kind of on with the the remainder of it. Which it sounds lovely in principle, doesn't it? It, does but, sound, it sounds brilliant. <laughs> mm. Uh, and let's be honest, you know, look now we've said before we've criticised world rugby and the various nations for not thinking uh, outside of the box kick for uh, for the last um you know the last nine months or however long this this crisis has been going on uh it looks great but i, th- I think there, there probably are more hurdles to it than than simply the dates 
I just go back to the cricket all the time and just see how well they handled that during a period of absolute uncertainty mm. and how tremendously well they handled it in the in terms of the stadia in terms of the bubbles i know that there was a certainly the players are not shy about saying how difficult it was mm. for them um with some of them now not going to the big bash and stuff because they just are worn out by mm. months and months of isolation but it was if if british you know if rugby in you know the uk and ireland can can kind of uh, can, can try and echo that. There's no. I, I think that's a really interesting prospect if they, if they could do that. Yeah, it is. It seems like the problem, the major problem, is in South Africa in terms of, in terms of, um, is it? Do you think that's to do with just a lack of trust because of the 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 outbreaks that they've had in other sporting environments? Yeah, I think there seems to be. Uh, uh, from what I read in the paper earlier, there is a there's another there's another strain in South Africa, a mutated strain, and I, I think the and there's also going to be a lot more logistical problems as well as financial problems in securing a vaccine there. So we're a lot further down the road than they are in that regard, and obviously that you can't it can't take place without it can't take place without fans. The thing that I suppose that itinerary doesn't take into account is, and again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not one who wants to shoot things down for the sake of it because it does look really appealing. But from the commercial perspective, there is such a huge boost to the South African economy for hosting it in South Africa. Outside of just the revenue on the tickets, you know, you think how many Lions fans are drinking in the pubs and the, and staying in the hotels? It was it thirty thousand booked already on these on these. Uh, packages I think that that has such a huge effect on South Africa that it would it would be selfish to to host it over here so I don't know for me that and again I've, I've not necessarily thought this through properly but if you are going to do it make the call early and say it's going to take place next year give everyone enough time to to get that in place move the six nations to the summer it gives you the opportunity to uh, it gives you the opportunity to experiment with with that tournament in the in the summer months and and, and see if there is a, any additional benefits to that. I.e., not necessarily going up as as hard against football, although the Euros will be in the summer. Euros, right? but, yeah. Uh, but you know, certainly from a, a weather perspective and those kind of things, and most importantly, have fans in the in the stadium because I think realistically, and again, I say realistically, you would hope that come June there would be an opportunity to get fans in the stadium in this country. And certainly working on that scenario that Alex has laid out, that is having fans in the ground. So if you are going to have that, I'd say have the Six Nations in the summer, have the Lions next next year. The, the Lions is a touring entity. You know, I've, I've got a ticket for, the, uh, for that game at Murrayfield, whether it goes ahead or not. But I went to that one in Cardiff uh, in 2005. Were you at that one? Yeah. Against yeah. Argentina. And it was... Yeah. The, the worst one of the worst games of rugby I've ever been to. It was just really odd. Like, A, you know, the Lions sent out a very, very weak side in that one. Um, it was odd. It, the atmosphere in the stadium was really weird. There was no away fans, really. So it felt very strange. And it just felt like the Welsh fans were rowing with the English and the, and the Irish with the Scottish. That was my kind of memory of that game and I think that it works so much better abroad because there is that there is that mentality that it's it is a touring entity and it works yeah. best away from seas and um so yeah, it's much, that's a, point. a traveling it's like a traveling unity isn't it I think there is and uh, and that's uh that's something that I think you know makes it, it makes it even more special so uh, you know as as much as I admire that kind of uh, uh that kind of thinking I don't know. I think that the best sense uh, is probably to, to to push it to next year. Yeah, right. sounds sounds like a very well reasoned argument off the top of your head, there, Jed. <laughs> right. Let's take a look at this one. Uh, sticking with uh, with the London Welsh connection, this one from Gareth Thorne Jones, uh, who's uh, yeah, God, he he puts uh, puts some hours in down at London Welsh doing uh, various different jobs. And his simply says thoughts on the Rainbow Cup and how the Welsh teams would get on. Uh, I'll do the commercial bit in a, in a sec, Justin. But as a punter, 
Not bothered. <laughs> Couldn't give a monkey's. Yeah, uh, 56 more games, I think, we're, we're being promised. Um, it's something like that. It's something like that. So, yeah. Stop. I know. Now. I know. I think I was one of those people who was kind of quite excited about the curtailing of a Pro 14 season. I thought, oh, good. Um, <laughs> if it meant the end of the... If it meant the end of the Pro 14 and the beginning of uh, running rugby on in you know in sunnier climes, yeah, at least it'd be something to watch. But how much less of a toss could I give about you know about overcoming sort of obstacles against teams that we've never faced before? Mm. Just don't care. No, I, I I don't either. And uh, and I think again, like what I what I'd love to see is because. You know, Wales Online love to run these articles about, oh, here's what Welsh rugby fans had to say about this on Twitter. It's like, yeah, of course, you know, there'll be a few people who might say that, yeah, cool, it's, you know, let's, I'm excited about seeing Sia Khaleesi play or whatever it might be. And then, you know, the rest will be ranting. And actually, it doesn't matter really what individuals think about it. It's more about what the, um, what the overwhelming numbers would would say, you know, if you were to conduct some proper research amongst amongst fans e- across the across the board and see what they think about this, my gut says it would be treated with apathy because essentially it's the same tournament, albeit with some better quality South African sides. And above all of that, are we given what we've just said about the Lions? Are we really going to be getting excited about a cross border tournament with South Africa? Is this going to happen? Are we going to end up with a, a botched version of this where they call it something else and it, and it basically ends up being another condensed version of the pro whatever season it is? Um, I know that, you know, financially, I think it seems to make sense in the short term, but it's still got to go. It's still got to go some to actually take place, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the, the, there's no question that that you know that a lack of familiarity is not going to draw people in particularly it's not going to be oh this is this sounds exotic and wonderful mm. and you're right yeah seeing Sia Khaleesi play you know might be a drive for certain people but they'd much rather play you know much rather Scarlet's would rather play Bath again <laughs> you yeah. know you know it'd be better to play Northampton than it would be to play a team that nobody has any real affinity or understanding or appreciation of really I mean and obviously there are some people who really know their onions and but you're talking about the mass market again and it's just not just you know those those when you watch those away games in the Pro 14 and so you know when when uh you know that it that will always go down in history as you know a <laughs> lion biting mm. you know that whole that whole era it won't go down in history for anything anything to to, to do with the rugby no no i mean scott, I, I, Bald, scott baldwin getting bitten by a lion that'll mm. be the memory of that kind of experiment surely well yeah i mean i would have said that if it wasn't the case that they're they're now bringing, you know, they're ditching the two South African yeah, sides no. that were in there with a view to bringing in four more. And I, I just don't think, you know, there's there's been very little to suggest that that experiment has worked other than on a monetary level where it bought some short-term cash. But I think that's where we are right now. We're not going to get anything. And hopefully this will answer uh, um, Matthew Cook's question, which says, what chance of an Anglo-Welsh league happening? We're not going to get that any time in the short term. It doesn't seem like, I've said before, the only people who can make that happen are CVC. doesn't look like they're particularly interested in that at the moment. And so I think that really just to keep the clubs alive, you've got to, you've got to make this happen. I, again, working off some of the articles I read, I think it's something like £800,000 a season it would mean to the clubs, which is the region, sorry, which, you know, is not to be sniffed at right now. But again, it doesn't it doesn't help the long term health of the uh, of the league, which is, you know, is it's a bit like it's a bit like the eternal, um, you know, box heavyweight boxers who end up having to not fight. You know, it's obviously the we're talking 
Fury and Joshua mm. now, but you have five years of meandering around before that actually that fight is made. And it feels the same sort of thing. We just keep on making fights <laughs> that nobody's really that interested in. I feel like it's a, I don't know, I feel like it's a, a sitcom in its 12th series and they're bringing in guest stars, but they're not, you know, they're, they're guest stars who are, I don't know, washed up or there's a bit of a drug scandal or something. It's just like, right, what can we try uh, to make this to make this better for next season. And next season starts in four weeks' time. So we've got to make something happen. It just it, it feels like that. And it's, yeah, I don't know. As, as I've said before, you know, the guys who run these organisations are tasked with making money. So sometimes, some of that will be for, you know, for the right reasons, but you also get paid a hefty salary. And the bottom line is literally the bottom line. You have to make money. So... I don't know Martin and I never met him, but I just, you know, his, his interest is going to be bringing money in. So again, if he can go right in 20, in 2014 or whatever it was, I got the job uh, in 2017, I increased revenues this much by bringing on board a new broadcaster in 2018. That went up again because I brought some South African sides in. And in 2021, when the rest of the rugby world was in complete crisis, my revenues went up again because I bought these teams in. He might well land himself a job somewhere cushy. And, you know, Brett Gosper, world rugby's, you know, formerly world rugby's highest, uh, whatever you'd call it, you know, is the, the highest paid, high, most most powerful person in world rugby has, uh, has vanished away from rugby right now. You know, he came in from, I know he's got a, a long history with the sport, but he came into it and he's gone now when the sport faces a massive crisis and I can't remember where it is he's gone but it will be another highly paid job which is what you do if you're in or what a lot of people do if you're in those if you're in those kind of powerful positions so do are we really to expect anything else from the people running pro 14 other than right well what can we do for the next few seasons to make sure that those revenues go up revenues will go up gate receipts in any of the Welsh clubs won't. That will all be dependent on whether they could string some results together. That's the only thing that's going to bring a bit of interest. So 800 grand is great. Is it going to make that much of a difference? I don't know. It, it keeps things afloat. So I'm, I'm not, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to rain on the idea from a commercial sense because I think they've just made happen what needs to happen. But I can't sit here and swallow it and expect that I'm going to give a shit about it any more than I do about the current Pro 14. No, agreed. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't look like an Anglo-Welsh is likely anytime soon, unfortunately. Let's talk about some rugby again, though. Yes, and you touched on this in the first half. This one's from Jonathan Davis. What's happened to Nick Tompkins since joining the Dragons? And should the WRU seriously consider including players playing in England for the eligibility? Uh, should they uh, consider including players playing in England? Games this past weekend simply don't bear comparison. It's an interesting point. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned Nick Tompkins. What has happened since joining the Dragons? I don't know. I don't. I just don't know. I mean, he. You know, it's not. It's not. It's not a Dragons issue. It's a will. It's a. It's an international issue. But it's. It's. It's unfair to just say it's all about Nick. Nick Tompkins because it's also about just the centres. You know, mm. the centres. Anything outside outside half is. It seems like a a general mystery that none of us can fathom. Not because they're not very good not good players but because we haven't seen any fluidity mm. we haven't seen any fluidity uh, we used to talk about you know when people complain about Dan Bigger not not um not switching on the people outside him you know because he may may not have been you know didn't wasn't as fluent as um Patchell for instance in getting the backline moving well the backline hasn't moved at all now since last year um so i i i feel nick nick I, I feel sorry to kind of round it all around nick tompkins but it is it's it's only just um it, he only feels like uh symbolic really of a general malaise really i would say yeah i think that's about right specifically with nick tompkins i think if you go from playing for saracens to playing for the dragons it, it's going to be more difficult you know it's I think particularly where you don't get much of the ball and, you know, I think playing 
13 for anyone. You don't get much of the ball at the moment, but particularly playing for the Dragons. So I think that's shown things up. I know what you mean. He does like look a little bit lost at times in terms of he doesn't, he's not sure where he's going. He's desperate to make something happen. Um, but I don't, I don't think Nick Tompkins has become a bad player at all. I just think he's, you know, I, I just think he's, he's playing in a side that is nowhere near the, the calibre of the one he was playing in before. Uh, and when he's been playing for Wales, again, expectation was so high because of that, that, you know, that might be the best debut I've ever seen a Welsh player have. And it, it was incredible. You know, he just he, he tore Italy apart. And then after that, it was kind of bang. Here's the reality of, of international rugby. And particularly at 13, it's bloody hard. And a lot of it revolves around defence. Uh, so look, I don't think he's a bad player at all. I think that uh, he's, yeah, he's finding it tough at the moment. With the eligibility thing, do you think there's anything there? Do you, are you want to... I, I'm, I definitely... I'm def- I, I, I know where that's heading. You know, it's heading back into the idea of having a sustainable game in Wales that doesn't have to bankrupt the regions mm. that, it, that it has. And so, you know, the wisdom of getting Liam Williams to come back or the wisdom in having players coming, you know, like Josh Adams. And I... I, I I don't like saying it, but I think there's an inevitability that in the long term, the, the the players will return to England and we will select them from English regions because because the game is not sustain, financially sustainable in Wales. And I think that they, I would rather focus on trying to, well, it's impossible at the moment, but trying to bring some sort of uh, more of a balance between regional rugby and club rugby in Wales. That would be my long-term ambition. And um, and if that's, that would probably be at the expense of bringing marquee players back to Wales, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, it's, uh, it sounds like the football argument all over again, really, uh, that, you know money talks as you well know and I would say that it would be you know it would be long term that Wales would select your Ross Moriarty's going you know if he was playing for Northampton or they would select any number of players yeah if I'm honest I think it's that that 60 cap role is one of the few things that keeps players playing in Wales and you know we talk about losing quality you're gonna, you're only gonna lose more of it, and if that's the case, then the the reasons literally just become feeder clubs for, uh, for English sides and for, uh, and for French sides. You know, that's that what you'll have, what you'll have then if you if you were to scrap it, and you would just end up with, you know, a, a 22 year old who's had three good seasons at Cardiff Blues. His contract comes up, and you say, do I want to stay here on not very much money? Uh, or do I want to go and, and play somewhere else? And, and that is that is what would happen. So but, I, you know, the, the difficulty with and I totally agree with every single word you say, mm-hmm. and it doesn't it 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 completely contradicts my gut feelings and or my in, sorry my emotions. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is that if the if people aren't going to watch that those players playing in the stadium, if they're not if they're not being able to watch them in on in broadcast in in hundreds of thousands at the very least or tens of thousands let's mm. be let's be realistic about it and what's then, the point what's the point mm. because it, you know those players are only going to be in international's camp for a significant period well of that's time. that's that's the point from the union's perspective isn't it is that you don't lose these players to you're able to manage their workloads a bit easier and you're able to get them for two weeks ahead of the Six Nations starting rather than them being parachuted into the camp. Um, then, you know, managing their workloads is one thing, but as we already discussed, there's a significant portion of them are knackered and, mm. and may never, some of them may never even return to, to full health. You know, at the moment, it looks pretty grim for a couple of them anyway. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Look, let's finish on um, on a couple of things. Sticking with the centres the time being, this one's from Reese Lloyd. No, he's back from injury. Do you think Halaholo can win the 13 shirt? Obviously, he was in the, the squad for the Barbarians in 2019, but but never got uh, never got on the pitch. He got injured, injured before that. Um, do you want to field that one? 
it feels like it's a it's an open invitation for mm. a player to grasp the grasp the opportunity, doesn't it? It's without a doubt, and it doesn't matter whether it's Halaholo or, or even you know, again seeing Tyler Morgan go off with a, some sort of grind twinge is you know he is obviously not not uppermost in anybody's minds, but there isn't. Yeah, it's it's anybody's. It, there are, we've got to find four centres that work well together and not chop and change them left, right and centre and prepare for the post-John Fox era um, and take it, yeah, it's, it's, any, it's up for grabs. What do you, what do you reckon? I've always, I've always enjoyed watching him play. I think he's, a, you know, he's, a, he's an exciting player to watch. Um, you know, first up, he's got he's to get some, get some game time for, uh, for Cardiff and, and string together those performances that we know he's capable of. In terms of being a long-term successor to John Fox, he's, he's 30 years old. Um, so, you know, kind of time is, is stacked against him. So I, I think he'll get his Wales cap. And actually I've spoken to him a couple of times and, and I know that, we, that means a lot to him actually. And obviously he's kind of singled out when he was named in that squad and he took it he took it very very personally because he said well look if you don't agree with the eligibility rules that's one thing but why are people picking on me and not on Johnny McNichol and the natural the natural joining of those things up is to say that it's something race related but he you know he was very kind of I messaged him a couple of times and he replied and said that he said look you know I've I've lived here for four years. My daughter's born here. My daughter's Welsh. This means a lot to me to to play for Wales. So you know, I think that I would I'd like to see him get get the cap from a from a point of view. He seems like a, a stand up guy who's um, who's fought really hard to to kind of overcome personal issues when he was younger. And so I you know I'd like to see him get that. But as I say, you know, it being thirty, how much time is he going to be afforded if he can't make that? that transition straight away, which as we said is with the Nick Tompkins issue is a very, very hard thing to do at international level. Yeah. And but two years, two years of service in a Welsh squad might be very valuable for the people or the players around him. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It might, it might well be. Um, but yeah, I fingers crossing stay injury free and get some, get some game time in for the blues and, and kind of go from there. We have got a final one to go on and yes, then you're going to like this one. This is from Simon Beer. How good is Sam Costello going to be? The floor is yours. Oh, you just, you teed me up. He's, he looks fantastic. He just looks electric. Uh, like I said, you know, where you've got that, you've got that player coming straight out the traps and nobody knowing anything about him seemingly. And therefore it's all just, natural and exciting and he's playing you know we've seen it we've seen it with lots of players and we uh you know from i mean i think back to like even thomas williams and players like that when you first started seeing them play you thought oh my god there's mm-hmm. excitement excitement so that's what you you know after a after a, a dire set of matches that his 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 look of pure, unadulterated, ecstatic joy at scoring, losing it completely, was uh, was the highlight of my uh, of those four matches for me. And um, you know, as a bloke from the other side of the Lacher estuary, that that that's you know, that's uh, some admission. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I've only seen glimpses uh, of him mainly in the under-20s. And as you said before, it's a very difficult thing to gauge. He's certainly exciting, which is, I don't know, it's almost the most important thing for me now. And again, in a, as we said throughout this episode of the podcast, at a time when excitement is at an absolute premium, players who look to do stuff are always are always going to make me make me interested. As you know, as a man who... As a man who picked Matthew Morgan as his outside half and his all-time ever fifteen, I like you know I like to see tens who can all run and uh, and try things and yeah he's he's a really exciting prospect so yeah I just like you say I just hope we get to see a bit more of him really and he's uh, you know even with even with kind of Patchell not playing for the Scarlets at the moment the way that 
the way that the game is played at the moment is that you would pick Dan Jones, who's more of a you know who's more of a controlling ten. Um, but I just yeah, I just hope he gets an opportunity to to get a good a good run of games together and and show what he's capable of doing. So yeah, I'd certainly be optimistic that he's that he's got a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I really hope that he'll. Um... You know, it's you know, Kieran Williams is is a kind of chip off a certain, you know, an old block in terms of that sort of aggressive, low mm. centre of gravity, you know. But and he is a, he looks like a really a really good regional player in the making, doesn't he? But you just don't know what what whether that goes beyond that. Obviously, Costello's done things in under twenties international standard, and you look at your, you know, Johan Lloyd's getting rave reviews left, right, and centre. And I have to say, I, I haven't watched him that many times, so mm-hmm. that I haven't seen his the impact that he's had on on games. But he gets tremendous reviews. So there are options, aren't there? There are, and he's one of those. Johan Lloyd's one of those players that just it, again offers excitement. Yeah, yeah, he does. Again, I've not seen a huge, I've not seen a huge amount of him, but it's, yeah, for me, you know, I've I've often used this analogy. It's like it's like looking at racehorses, and you know, you can look at, um, you, know, you can look at the performances that that Kieran Williams has put in, but you know, you're trying to pick the winner of the Cheltenham Gold Cup by looking at a, you know, a point to point at Foslas. You know, it's not a um, it's not a it's not necessarily a direct a direct comparison until we see those players go up another level and i'd like to you know that's what you'd like to see you'd like to see them playing in the heineken cup more regularly because that is a much better gauge and that's what gatland did you know that was his form book was i can't you know i can't trust uh, day-to-day pro 14 games as a gauge of whether someone's international standard or not i can trust to a certain degree the heineken cup then if you can do it in there, you're in the camp and I'll run a good, a damn good rule over you and see whether you're up to it or not. Because it's just so intense. That's the big thing. And I think that he was such a good judge of, of players who were and weren't international class. That's the, that's the thing that I think he did so, so well. Uh, was, was He was able to look at a player and go, yeah, this guy can cut it at the very top level. He's got that extra bit. And uh, it's a difficult thing to do. So, you know, Pivak's job is made even harder by the fact that You've got, um, you know, the, the the base he's he's looking at is the the Pro 14, the the Challenge Cup. Um, you know, other than the Scarlets who are who are playing in the Heineken Cup, you know, Dragons are out of it, and they essentially fielded a B team in two of those games anyway. So, yeah, it's made it's made all the more difficult for Pivac. And selection, as we said before, is that is the most important part of an international head coach's role. No, absolutely, and I, you've just got to hope that players even though like you say that within the pro 14 that they actually some players start dominating these games rather than just and it's difficult it's difficult as we've seen in the last two weeks it's very very difficult to do that but the way that the games are being played at the moment it's very difficult for them to to show what they're made of it is indeed but anyway i feel like we got through an awful lot of ground there yesterday so thank you very much indeed for joining us thank you to everyone who listened and has been listening uh, over the last uh, over the last few years or so really uh, really appreciate everyone tuning in and if you have enjoyed it please leave us a review on apple podcasts or simply tell your mates all of which helps us uh, to uh, to get found that a little bit more easily and finally a thanks as always to our sponsors at so coffee trades if you want to get some great quality coffee, you can do that by going to socoffeetrades.co.uk. Right, we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. We are Sports Social Podcast Network.